What's up, Duke fans? Welcome to the Devil's Den podcast. I'm your host, Josh Smith, here with my co-host, Raul. And today we got Steve Clark and John Watson from the Devil's Den with us. Going to talk a little bit about the UIBL that recently just happened, some of the transfer portal stuff, um, and really kind of talk more about the 2023 class now that that's kind of started to shape up. Um, As we jump into it, though, before, recently on our last podcast, we kind of had some predictions that was right before Wendell declared and then Keels and AJ shortly followed. With Keels, though, it seems to be a little bit of, uh, I guess, room or flexibility that he might come back. I know Brennan Marks was kind of tossing that around. Um, what are y'all's thoughts on that, John or Steve? What are, where are you kind of leaning towards? Is this a test the waters thing? Because traditionally, Duke guys, if they go, they go. And if they stay, they stay, right? We don't typically have a whole lot of testing going on. So what are y'all kind of hearing on that end? How do you see that kind of playing out for him? Yeah, I think he's he entered the draft with the intention of staying in it. Um, you know, you you made a good point that you know when two guys go, they normally go. Chavin Delorier, except you know, except yeah. that, but um, kind of a different situation here. Um, you know, the thing I keep hearing is that Keels is probably going to be at the end of the first round, um, maybe even the upper second round. Uh, it just depends on you know how things fall and everything. The, the most interesting thing I've heard is NBA teams are kind of telling him or, or saying in the early feedback that, you know, you would benefit from another year because, you know, the question right now, and Steve can jump in on this as well, I, what is he? I mean, he's six foot four, he's 220 pounds, but what what position does he play? Yeah. You know, I mean, is he, is he a kind of an off-ball guard? Is he, a, is he a scoring guard? You know, if he's a shooting guard, he can't really shoot on a consistent basis right now. Um, you know, he, he was what 30% this year, um, you know, free throws. I mean, I can't, can't count the number of times he missed the front end of one and ones with that line drive shot. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think he still needs to work on his body to get his explosiveness a little bit better. I mean, I don't remember Keels dunking the ball once this year, uh, at six foot four. I mean, I thought Jeremy Roach had a lot more bounce than he did. Yeah. Um, and and so you know these are these are concerns and you know these are things that going back a year be kind of kind of being the leader of that team with Roach would help him. Now, does that mean if he gets a first, he couldn't get a first round guarantee? You know, absolutely not. He's only eighteen years old. Uh, he's got a long developmental runway in front of him. Question is, does he want to take the chance of being an end of the first round guy, uh, top of the second round guy, or does he come back, play well, lead a good Duke team? And maybe play himself into the late lottery. Um, you know, I don't know that he's ever going to be a top five to seven pick or anything like that, but he could certainly improve his draft stock. And, you know, I, I've always been kind of a, you know, watch what they do, not what they say. And, you know, one thing I would say on the flip side of this is, you know, Duke hasn't done a lot in the portal yet for shooting guards. Um, and it, it maybe it's me. I don't think John Shire is, you know, obtuse when it comes to the needs of his roster. Yep. So maybe there's something in play there, but I'll let Steve kind of follow up on that and jump in. I think, John, you kind of said something that for me is kind of the basis for my thoughts on, on this whole situation. You said uh, it's going to depend on what what he wants. And I think 
for me, once he entered, once the announcement came out that he was entering his name into the draft, I really started thinking about some more recent two guards that came out of Duke, you know, guys like Gary Trent uh, and, and others came to my mind who, you know, had similar, you know, potential draft ranges that what, what, what we're hearing with Trevor Keels, late first, you know, going into the second. And I think I've followed the NBA draft long enough to know that if the best feedback that you're getting early on is that you're likely to be end of first round or early second, I think it's safe to assume he's probably going to end up being a second round pick. And when you look at a situation like with Gary Trent, like I think Gary Trent entered the draft knowing he had similar kind of feedback position positionally wise, uh, draft position wise. And I think he was okay, whether he went first round or second round. So for me, I think John's phrase was really appropriate. Like, what does Trevor want? Like, is he comfortable with being like Gary Trent where, you know, Gary from the get go, you know, he knew he had to prove himself when he entered, when he entered the NBA because he was a second round pick and look at him like he took his game seriously you know he put himself in a position to succeed right away uh, in in the and uh, in the NBA and if if that's the mindset of Keels then it wouldn't surprise me if he stays in the draft if he's com- truly comfortable irregardless going first round or second round but if like John is saying if he wants to listen to the feedback that the NBA is giving that hey you know if you go back you know, for year two at Duke, you could put yourself in position to be a higher slotted first round pick, especially in a draft that is projected to not be as good as this one is, then yeah, I mean, there's some food for thought there. So um, yeah, that's kind of my thought process on it. I'm interested to see what he does, but at the end of the day, it's going to come down to, I think, you know, is he comfortable, you know, being a second round guy? Because anytime you get that kind of feedback, late first, early second, you could end up in the second just by virtue of numbers. Right. Right. For sure. And the, the guarantee, I always kind of wonder how that's communicated. Right. Because we hear all the time of, like, oh, sure. yeah, you know, Dallas said they were taking me with 15 and then, you know, I yeah. end up falling to twenties because if someone else falls or if someone else ends up being there, yeah, you know, yeah. you, you could very easily slip, you know? Yeah. The, and, the, and the look danger. at the, I mean, didn't they just put out the number of guys that like were officially approved for entering the draft and it's like what was it like 270 something guys ridiculous amount yeah. i mean I don't, I don't know where that stacks up historically against you know other drafts like just in terms of the total number of guys but you just think about that volume and if you're a late first early second guy and you know you have an opportunity to come back and be the man or one of the men at your school like you you have something serious to think about if you're trevor keels yeah Plus, you have I mean, to think about roster uh, mm-hmm. You know, at the end, and, and you know, salary cap and everything else. Um, you know, some of these guys, it may make sense to do a you know a draft and stash or whatever it is. Yep. Um, a lot of it, there's a lot of things that just you really take your control and throw it out the window when you get into that range. Um, some guys, like you said, are okay with that. I just I see Keels as a guy that has a lot of. Um, a, a lot of time to kind of define what he is and, and to become a more yeah. complete player and a more attractive draft pick, yeah. uh, especially with everything, like you said, from next year's draft won't be as good, um, you know, so on and so forth. And so, I mean, I, and, and like I said, I keep going back to the fact that Duke hasn't done anything yet. Um, yeah. Not publicly anyway, but, and we'll get into that when we talk about the transfer portal in a few minutes, but John, I, I just, John, maybe yeah. you just made me think of one more thing. Um, 
it's interesting how like John and I both knew like from the get go when when Trevor came into Duke, like he came in with the desire to be one and done. Like let, make no mistake about it. And I think oh, absolutely. And I think what's been interesting is how the the percentages have kind of changed. You know, since the season ended from preseason he was you know 100 i'm i'm gonna be a one and done guy to now you see adam and john on the boards you know pretty consistently i've been saying now it's a potential 50 50 like obviously something has moved from a consideration standpoint after the season behind the scenes for him to go from where he was preseason in terms of mindset for the draft to where he is now like obviously he's thinking about it right absolutely one thing i would say with that is if it was the Trevor Keels we saw against Kentucky, where he's the best player on the floor, yeah, th- this is not a discussion. Sure, um, and we we can we can have an entire podcast as to why he wasn't that consistent all year. Maybe it was him trying to be forced into being a point guard uh, for an extended period of time. Um, you know, th- there's all kinds of things we can say, but end of the day, we didn't get the kid we saw in November all year long, which is fine. So he's a freshman. Um, so, you know, just it's one of those things where um, the kid evolved, you know, there's more tape on him. And so, you know, now he has to figure out, does he want to, um, you know, stay in the draft and probably go to a very good team who's got a late first round draft pick? Um, and if that's the case, he's not going to play. He's going to be in the G League most next year. Yeah. Um, yep. you know, and that's that's got to be a consideration. I mean, like you said, Gary Trent was fine with it. Uh, and Gary Trent worked, but Trayvon Duvall was also just hell bent on being one one and done. Yep. And you know, that kid was as talented and athletic a point guard as I can remember watching. I mean, ever since John Wall. I mean, I, th- I thought they were getting John Wall 2.0. And you know, uh, obviously he had the vision thing, but you know, you can get lost in the G League real fast. Yeah, that's a yeah, very I mean, cuz look at we've seen guys like Quinn Cook and Seth Curry who had like marquee level skill right like a, either shooting or ball handling and I'm, I'm not seeing a like elite skill from from trev right there's a lot of different things that he can do um better than those guys could but in terms of elite kind of like this guy's a 45 44 shooter that's not there um defense i would i think gary trent was a better defender than trev and trev was good you know um trent also just, shot 40 percent from three yeah, he he, yeah, and it, Big Trent there. would have been a monster on this year's team. I mean, I he would have been alpha dog. Yeah, I think Trent team. is by far the better NBA draft pick at the same point in their careers. I mean, by far. For sure. Yeah. For sure. And you got to think, and you got to think too, the other consideration for Trevor, if you think about the team that he's walking into this year, you know, if he comes back for year two, like I think there's more of an opportunity for a defined role as a shooting guard for him on next year's team than he ever had on this on the on his freshman year team because I mean we all know like Kay said we have multiple ball handlers like we have mul- I think he just had multiple guys that he felt like we can initiate offense through Trevor through Wendell through Jeremy he comes back for year two like it's defined like Roach is the point guard he's the two guard and then he's alongside uh, Derek Whitehead on the on the wing like. In terms of role and opportunity to expand your role, like I think he could play more of his natural role if he comes back for year two because he wouldn't be asked to be the point guard. Yeah, yeah, and you know we'll we'll, we'll transition to the portal, but just real fast, you know, John mentioned that draft and stash, and I do think you have to be careful because Raul, we've talked about this a lot, and he's big on this too. Um, you know what 
a team is way more invested in you if they draft you as a lottery pick or that you know top first round pick. The the longer you wait, the draft and stash could end up just being a stash, right? And then you get lost down in there. And it's um, you know, hopefully it works out for him. You know, I'd love to have him back. I am curious to see how long John kind of allows that to just float, you know, and then if you lose him in June and then you're just kind of scrambling, I, I'm wondering what kind of behind the scenes conversations are are going on there. But um anyway, good segue into the portal. So I guess recently we got the the announcement from the kid from Harvard. Um sounds like Ryan Young from Northwestern. There was some talk of the I don't know how you pronounce his last name, but it sounds like Baylor Shire Man, which is kind of cool because that's, you know, Shire's man, maybe. Uh, Way to take a stab at it, Josh. Yeah, right. You got to go for it. Some other easy ones, Malachi Smith, AJ Green, you know. Um, So a lot of different names being thrown out of there. John, you kind of mentioned that they haven't really went for uh, a traditional kind of shooting guard. seems like a lot of these guys are more of that like three, four kind of hybrid type spacers. Um, is, Is this... Are we looking for kind of practice guys in the role of like Bates John kind of deal or 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 Bates Jones or who I guess what is our philosophy behind the portal here? It's kind of hard to kind of pick apart. Well, first thing they've got to do is they've got to replace what they lost. Um, so you know they they need a replacement for Theo John. Um, that might be Ryan Young, kid from Northwestern. Um, the kid from Harvard's he's he's good. Um, I know people on our boards are wanting him to be better than he probably is. Um, he's a guy who got an undergraduate degree from Harvard. He's going he's gonna to go to class. He's going to, he's going to provide a veteran mature presence in the locker room. He can, he can play in a pinch. He averaged, he averaged less impressive numbers than Patrick Tappe did. Um, you know, it's like, let, let's temper expectations. He's going to be a practice player. Um, if he's more than that, that's great. I, I, I don't see it though. Um, Ryan Young, you know, he's he's a kid from Northwestern. You know, he's played in the Big Ten, so he's played at a much higher level. Um, he's been productive in the Big Ten. You know, Theo John, he's got about the same production Theo John had uh, at Marquette. So, you know, that, that would be a nice fit. Um, you know, going forward from that, it really depends on what they believe Keels is going to do. Now, the timeline is interesting because I think Keels has to withdraw by June 1st if he, if he signs with an agent, a, a NCAA agent. You've seen um, in the last couple of days, I mean, it's every day. Some new kid is declaring for the draft, but or not declaring for the draft, but entering his name in the portal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I would caution people who are going, oh, Duke's not doing anything. Duke's not doing anything. I, I can tell you that is patently untrue. They have reached out to, I know for a fact they reached out to the, uh, the Baylor Shireman kid. I know for a fact they've reached out to AJ Green. I know for a fact they've reached out to other players. But reaching out doesn't mean they're going to immediately reach out and go, hey, we have a scholarship come right now. Hey, you know? I, hey, John, I've got another story to add on top of what you're saying, because I totally agree with this. Um, when I reached out to the AAU coach for Kyle, Cac- Kyle Catchings, the recent uh, uh, commit, um, he actually told me that he got a call from Kyle's mom uh, close to three weeks ago. And she said, and she told him that they were talking with Carwell even then. So... Like that's an example of like they operate, especially with the transfer portal. Those discussions are way, way behind the scenes. They they are, and you know what I would tell you is, you know, as we were talking before we came on the air, you know, if you believe John Shire is going to look at his roster right now and go, you know what, we're good, 
we don't have a shooting guard. We don't have a designated shooter. You know, we're good. And, you know, we're just going to go for these backup. But that's, that's not going to happen. But, you know, I, I see the reactions on our message boards. I see the reactions on social media. And they're going, you know, well, why hasn't Duke done anything yet? Well, you know, three weeks ago, A.J. Green was the greatest thing since sliced bread. Except until the Bay- Baylor Shireman kid came on. And then this, you know, the Texas kid came on. And then the Chattanooga kid came on. It's like Duke's going to sit there and wait and see what's available. And then they're going to try to find the best fit. Now, will they get it right? Maybe. Um, but, you know, a lot of it's going to be dependent on what is Keels going to do? And when are you going to know what Keels does? The good news is these kids who have declared for the draft but also entered into the portal, as Steve said, 200 and however many kids it is, there's all kinds of volume there. Yep. And they're all going to make a decision one way or another within this within a similar time frame. That being said, I, I would suggest Duke will have their roster put together by the end of May. Um, and it, a lot of it's going to be c- contingent. You know, if Keels comes back, I don't know that you need another player. Uh, if he does not come back, what kind of player do they want? Do they want a shooter? Do they want a, a defensive dog? You know, what what do they want? And I don't think we can answer that yet until we know, you know, what Keels is going to do. And these are, you know, I hate to, you know, burst insider status or whatever of all the guys on the board, but end of the day, Duke doesn't know yet because there's too many variables. Um, and, and, you know, people are getting information every day. Trevor Keels could call, could have three GMs call him today and say, hey, we're going to take you no matter what. Well, you know, he will still communicate that with Duke. It's not that Duke's going to sit there and just be in the dark. But, you know, they don't control a lot of that yet. Um, but to, to answer the, the first question, uh, what they're looking for is a player who can come in, who can hack it on the court, produce on the court, who can be a guy who buys into the Duke, um, to the Duke, uh, I, I guess we don't even know what the identity of Duke is yet under Shire, but, you know, who can, who can buy into being a good teammate, a veteran teammate, uh, who can buy into a role. Who can um, you know carry the load as it were, but also somebody who can hack it in the classroom. Yeah, um, I know that might sound cliche for a program that's been one and done for however many years, but it is it is a factor. And you know, because they still got to get past admissions, and um, easier to get a high school kid in than it is a kid who's got two three years of academics on on his record. So that's something also to consider. Mm. I'm also curious too. Um, you know. The, the NIL is playing a role in all of these things. And we've seen a lot of Duke guys have really good success with NIL last year, but that seemed to kind of happen post-commitment once they started getting on campus. I'm sure for Paolo, he probably had some some stuff already in the works, but these kids in the portal are almost using it as kind of like a, a leverage for like a recruiting purpose of like, they're wanting these deals already kind of set up and in place. And, you know, I don't know all of the, the, the rules of the NCAA, but I'm curious from Duke's side, what, do, what is their kind of thoughts on, on this stuff of staying kind of, you know, out and out ahead of the NIL. I thought we've done a really good job on that, but now this portal situation, we saw Pat basically get an $800,000 deal to commit. Um, what, where do you see, uh, cause it seemed like our standpoint was that we would kind of, um, connect them or network them, but we were kind of going to keep our hands out of the pot and doesn't really seem like that's what's going on around the league. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Um, it, it's something Duke's going to, going to have to address and they do it very well. Now, you know, Duke's, Duke's basic pitch is look, 
Duke basketball is the biggest platform in college sports. They're bigger than Alabama football by a lot. Um, they're bigger than, you know, they're bigger than Kentucky basketball. Um, no matter what the people in Lexington think. Um, I mean, there's, there's just data to back it up. Um, the platform is big. That being said, as someone who's been doing this for as long as I have, I can tell you the Duke fan base, the diehard fan base is nowhere near the size of the state schools. I mean, nowhere near it. Um, and so, you know, a Kentucky could raise a fortune to quote, have an NIL, you know, North Carolina, if they wanted to, could do it. Ohio sure. state could do it. UCLA, USC, um, everybody in the SEC could do it. Look at, look at what, look at what's happening with, uh, Miami. I mean, their guy, their primary that, guy, a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah. But he set aside the guy that's like the primary funder of all that stuff for Miami. He's doing it for football and he's doing obviously for basketball too. Like he was just quoted in an article that I saw yesterday or today. He's got like a $20 million budget for this. Like it's the wild freaking West out there It is like, with it. And I think you ask a good question, Josh, and having been in Indianapolis at the EYBL and seeing everybody that was kind of around, uh, especially some of those coaches, like it is very obvious that it isn't just the kids that who are in the portal, who are looking for big NIL contracts. It's the marketing agents because the marketing agents recognize that unlike a traditional player agent in the NBA or NFL who gets a small percentage of a contract, these NIL, NIL contracts, the marketing agents that negotiate them, they can get upwards of 15 or 20% mm. of the deal. Like it's a massive haul. So if you are able to attach yourself to a kid who wants a big payday, you know, through the NIL process, like you are seeing that play out. And so the combination of kids with motivation to transfer, to go be the man at places that they know they can be the man and these marketing agents, like, I think you're going to continue to see situations like what we saw with PAC uh, and with others. And that, that whole approach, everything that I've heard, and I'm sure John will agree with me on this, like Duke takes the exact opposite approach. Like Duke's all about educating their guys on how to think through you know, having a good platform, being a part of the Duke brand, what that, how that can help you. They're all about educating their guys on what the opportunities are and how to think through them and do the right thing. Like this other stuff, it's a totally different situation. Yeah. Duke's going to have to figure out how to, I mean, Duke's pitch right now is a long game, you know, okay. Like we'll, we'll use the Kansas state kid, the Pat kid who went to Miami. Okay. He made 800,000. If he came to Duke, I don't think he'd make 800,000 next year for that one year. But if this guy came to Duke and was all of a sudden featured and all of a sudden bolstered his NBA stock, you know, the long play is, okay, you make a little less than, well, maybe a lot less than 800,000 for your one year, but you blow up at Duke and then you go to the NBA as a higher draft pick, or maybe you get a guaranteed contract. I, I, I don't know about you. I would trade. I mean, I, I, of course I'd take either one of them, but you know, I would trade um, a couple hundred thousand dollars to get a couple million um, the next year. And I think that's, that's where it's going to be really interesting and create a different kind of parity in college basketball, because we see Duke wanting to get guys who are going to be in school a little bit longer. Um, and then, you know, every year, um, you're going to have guys transferring who could be impact players. Well, the impact players are probably going to go somewhere that either a, they're going to get a guaranteed bag as far as that, that one or two years or three years, whatever it is. Um, 
Duke's pitch is more, hey, look, come in, we'll, we'll build your brand. Whatever NIL you can do for the years you're here is great, but we're going to build you to the point where you can be a long-term professional. Yeah. And are, are you going to be able to find the guys who have that long game approach as opposed to the guys who they know they're probably never going to make the NBA, so they're going to get paid right now. And it's, it's an interesting dichotomy to look at. Um, you know, I mean, just talking about the, the one kid we've heard about, the uh, Baylor Shireman, great kid, would fit Duke like a glove, very talented. But, you know, his, he's apparently and reportedly asking for incredible money uh, out of an NIL deal. And I think it's probably going to disqualify Duke from it. So, I mean, it, it'll be something to watch in the coming years. And I don't know how the NCAA is going to do it. I don't know if it'll be a third party that does it, but there's going to have to be some sort of regulation because, I mean, at this point, I mean, you might as well just sign these kids to contracts mm. um, the way it sounds. And if you think long-term also about how this affects the Duke recruiting philosophy, like in some ways, like under Shire, I could see them, you know, over the long-term trying to return to how I think they wanted to do the one and done thing, where instead of having to build, you know, classes of one and done guys to be the basis of your team, you want to try to maybe have, you know, one or two guys, you know, that are surefire one and done each year. And in some ways, I think it's, it's a similar approach with the transfer portal. Like you got to find guys. I think Duke is keen on finding guys that are willing to buy into the total team concept, not somebody who wants to come in, you know, brand new, fresh, and just entirely be the man and the show. Like he'll never be the show at Duke because there's lots of other guys that comprise the show at Duke. And I think from a mentality perspective, like they, they will absolutely miss out on guys in the transfer portal who want to be the man and be the lead show. And I think in some ways that might be okay because like it or not, it appears under Shire, like they want to build their primary recruiting classes year to year through the high school ranks. And if you're going to do that, which is fine, I mean, that's the way it's been for a long time. Then if you're going to dip into the portal, you're dipping into the portal for unique needs. And if you have unique needs, you got to find guys that are willing to meet those unique needs. And there's plenty of guys out there that you can find that are willing to be a part of something like that and not be the man. You know what I'm saying? And from a chemistry perspective, if you bring in guys who are willing to buy into those roles, your overall team could be much, much better instead of building it around guys who want to be transfer portal guys who just want to come in and be the man. And it's really like a, it's so difficult to do this, right? Because on one hand you have like, if you're looking at rankings, like, okay, we'll just target some kids in like the thirties. Well, we've done that before and they still have that kind of aspiration to want to be one and done, but they're not really quite elite enough. So it's almost kind of like you either just sell all the way out for top five, top 10 status, or you got to go way down. But then even when we went down there, um, either we just have great talent, you know, evaluation or what, but those guys shoot up, right? Like, look at Sean Stewart right now. Like this kid looks legit. Look at Kyle Filipowski, right? Like when he recruit, when he was recruited and committed, it was kind of almost project high upside guy. And now he's what number two in the class or three in the class. And so you have to Tyus Jones being another guy, right? I remember on the book, we all, everyone was just kind of assuming this guy's going to be our point guard for the next two, three, maybe four years because of athleticism limitations. And then he gets there and he's a savant, right? And so what do you do? <laughs> you scramble, you go get, you know, Derek Gordon is what you do. That's all you, yeah. do. Well, all you can do. <laughs> I, I think one thing we've seen with Shire too is he's recruiting a bit more for the college game than maybe Krzyzewski did the last couple of years. 
I mean, I'm, I'm of the opinion that once Krzyzewski did the 2016 Olympics, it, it literally just became the Team USA approach. Go sign the best players. And he kept talking about it. We've always tried to you know, sign the best players and the best player. And I'm like, yeah, but at some point there were teams that we've seen in the past couple of years who just, they weren't constructed. They were yeah. just, they were just thrown together and tremendous, I mean, like tremendous accumulations of talent, but a lot of overlap here and there. I mean, you know, I mean, you, you got Zion, RJ and Cam Reddish, but. And that that may work in the in the NBA, but you know maybe not. Maybe find a shooting guard um, <laughs> in, in, for that team. Um, maybe I mean Trey Jones was great as a sophomore, but you're starting Jack White. I mean you know n- no disrespect to Jack who, who had a very good career, but you know why not why not build those teams a little bit better than we did? And you know I mean I, I look at some of the other teams you had where you had. Um, what was the year Frank Jackson was there? Was he? That was the that 16, was 17 year. year. Yeah. Yeah. And no, Frank, Tatum Frank and, and Frank Jackson doesn't start playing point guard till March. I mean, it was the Matt Jones's point guard year. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it, it's things like that, that just, you know, we, we can all question it. And it's not like they, they weren't successful and they weren't great teams, but like I said, I, I just see the way Shire's doing it right now. And they, like next year, he's got, you know, a, two big guards who are both point guards. He's got a designated shooter who can also be a combo guard. He's got, um, you know, I mean, obviously McKenzie's going to be one and done. But outside of that, I mean, you could make an argument that every one of those kids could be multiple-year players. Um, Very good players. And, you know, you're going to lose some here and there because a kid's going to blow up. I mean, who expected Luke Kennard to be a lottery pick after his second year? I mean... You're going to have that, but having more kids who play more and who play the right roles over several years, I think is going to be something that's going to give Duke the depth they need. And and to, like Steve said, to go back to the idea of, hey, we're going to bring in a Luol Ding. We're going to bring in a Jabari Parker. We're not going to bring in five guys who are going to be gone in a year because um, it's just not sustainable. And, and certainly with this new Wild Wild West you know, NIL stuff, and transfer portals. I mean, if Duke truly wants to develop and keep quote their guys, the only way to do that is to play them, develop them, and to build teams where everybody fits. Um, and you know that that was a really a, a big reason that um, you know Jeremy Roach was about to leave after this year. I mean, <laughs> it, people don't realize he he came very close to tra- to uh, either going pro or looking somewhere else. Um, you know, and and who could blame him? I mean, he should have been the point guard from day one, I thought, but that's just me. That's another topic. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah. But, well, you, you raised a good point, though, about kind of just throwing this conglomeration of talent together. And, you know, in the Olympics, it can work um, with that level of talent. But even in the NBA, we've seen that, like, it doesn't work. It doesn't work in year one. And we only have year one, right? Like, even look at LeBron going to the Heat. Like, that first year, they lose to Dallas, right? They all come back, and they go back to back. Um, I guess Boston, it worked for them in 08, but that was because you had three veterans that came in. Mm -hmm. You know, look at Brooklyn right now, right? Like, year one, it's tough, especially when we're talking about 18-year-olds. It's just a... It's it's playing with fire, you know? And that's that's a really good point. It's if this was, you know, a couple years back, 
um, and only the top five. You know, if, if you're a lottery pick, you go. That's that's just a rule. Now it's like, hey, if you're going to be drafted in the first forty picks, go ahead and go. Yeah, I mean, yep. how much better would Duke have been this year with Vernon Carey in the middle? Um, you know, no no disrespect to Mark Williams, but would you have traded Vernon Carey? Uh, well, Vernon it would have been a junior this year. Yeah, he would have been junior. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, would you have taken him against Armando Baycott in the, in the Final Four? You know, would you have taken Matthew Hurt this year? Um, or a Cassius Stanley would have been perfect, right? When Cassius you did that Stanley would have been that would have been phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, it's all these all these kids, and you're like, you know, it's something. It's hard to it's hard to do, but yeah, they they've definitely got to to figure that out um, for sure. But, and I wonder you know, I, how much of that is being sold to them on the front end. Not maybe maybe not so much by John, but Kay at the end. I wonder how much of that is like we're recruiting you to come in and be this kind of one and done kind of. Maybe not he says one and done, but we think you can be this NBA guy. So you get that put in your head from the coaching staff. One of Kay's greatest strength is player empowerment. Where we're, we don't have the depth, so if Kills goes somewhere else. He might end up playing 15 minutes a game somewhere, right? And it's just this natural progression of like, yeah, you're going to come back as a sophomore, be the well, guy. I mean, Keels even said that, you know, the big selling point Shashevsky made to him was, I think you can be one and done. Yeah. yeah. Um, and Wendell, Wendell Moore said the same thing. Shoot. Yeah. I mean, that was a, that was <laughs> yeah. a part of the pitch. It, it, and it's, and that's great. It's just, I, I truly believe that it, towards the end of the end of his career, one of the, one of the things Shashevsky dealt with was, I've built this brand, um, and he was part of the brand. He's a huge part of it. But you know, a big mindset was if you go to Duke. I mean, the, the players have talked about it. You know, hey, if I wasn't one and done, it wasn't that. Hey, he's developing. It was what's wrong with him. And you know, that's they're they're kind of a victim of their own success there. And that's that's something to truly um, that they're going to have to amend and kind of tweak going forward. But you you know, I just. I look at the way a lot of these teams were put together and it just kind of snowballed. I mean, 2015, Tyus, Tyus was pretty much telling everybody he was one and done. I mean, they knew they were getting Tyus Jones when Tubby Smith was at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Um, they they knew it back then. I mean, I remember Tubby Smith at the battle for Atlantis that year. You know, someone asked him about Tyus Jones. He said, that kid's going to Duke. Everybody knows it. And that was two years before he graduated. Yeah. Um, you know, because who who was out? Cliff Alexander was the other guy with Jaleel. Yep. And, <laughs> yeah. You know, and it was just like, okay, so we you figure Jaleel was going to go one and done. Everyone knew that. Um, Winslow, I don't know that they thought he was going to go one and done. I uh, thought they may get two years of that. But once that class blew up, won a national title, um, it just started snowballing. And, I mean, you know, you can make the argument that they had to go. But, I mean, Harry Giles – Averaged four points a game and was a top 20 pick. Um, you know, and then I, I don't know. You can just make so many arguments over the way it just snowballed and went, went, kept going and going. I mean, Trayvon right. Duvall leaving, Gary Trent leaving. Um, and then, you know, just every year there was just a hole in the roster, it seemed like. And so, you know, going forward, they're just going to have to temper that and, and do it better. But I don't think Duke is doing as much. You're guaranteed to be one and done. It's here's our platform. Here's our stage. Here's the role we think you can play. You'll have a decision to make because of all that. If you perform. 
yeah, we'll see how they're going to change and, and and see what John's going to do when he gets in there and what the maybe the pitch changes or maybe NIL. Maybe we just get a combination of luck there. But um, well, well, Steve, let's talk a little bit about EYBL. Um, you know, I didn't see a whole lot. Roll, you jump in here too. I know you were watching a lot of those guys. From what I did look at it, it looked like um, um, McKenzie was playing well, scoring yeah. the ball. It looked like Stewart was really hitting the boards, kind of doing a little bit of everything. Who stood out to you? What was your takeaways from the event? Those two uh, definitely stood out for me among, among others, but I'll, I'll tell you the first thing, and this is kind of inside baseball. Uh, it was just a really wonderful weekend, and John will agree with me on this because EYBL for a long time, uh, now the media access has, has been really difficult with players to get interviews, and this year was the first year in, in recent memory where it was just really easy to be able to have access to the guys and talk to them after the game. I mean, I'd the vast majority of interviews that I had uh, that we've already been posting at the devil's den, like they were one-on-one interviews. Like, I mean, that, that rarely happens uh, at EYBL. So just a little inside baseball there, just as a media guy, Mm -hmm. like the access was phenomenal and it was just a really great weekend uh, to be able to see these guys in person again. It was awesome. But um, yeah, I really love what I saw from McKenna. I mean, I loved all the commits. Um, They all were doing really, really good things. And I got to see them multiple times. Uh, during the course of the weekend, I thought McKenzie, what was really interesting with McKenzie, the team that he plays on, they're probably one of the tallest and most, uh, most athletic AAU teams uh, on EYBL. I mean, they have like Aaron Bradshaw at, at their center. I mean, he's like got to be like almost Mark Williams high. Like they, they're just, mm. they're a team of trees. And McKenzie, even though he's capable of kind of being that, um, that kind of Duke four, you know, that were, that where you've, that Duke has had in, in past years, who's capable of playing on the wing, playing in the post. He was predominantly uh, on the wing. And what was really interesting that I saw in his game that I really thought is going to be a translatable skill to Duke, uh, he is really a gr- an aggressive playmaker in transition. And that includes passing the ball up ahead if he sees a good, uh, good pass, or if he catches the if somebody throws him the pitch ahead pass to get up in transition, he's not just looking to like blindly drive to the basket and be the sole scorer. Like he's looking to make plays. So he had multiple times where he passed off to open teammates uh, who were coming up ahead, you know, for the pitch ahead layup. Uh, His shooting stroke looked really good. Like I I would just, McKenzie was probably one of the favorite guys that I watched uh, for the, for the whole weekend. Like he just, he looked great. Um, And then with Stewart, I really like what I, what was interesting with Stewart I had seen him this past summer. uh, I got to go down to uh, Orlando to see the NBA PA top 100 camp and he was there. And what was interesting with him this weekend or this past weekend compared to then he has clearly put on some weight. Uh, He has gotten stronger uh, in his upper and lower body. Like you could tell he's been in the weight room. And when I saw him at the camp uh, over, you know, this past summer, he was like, he was doing some work on the perimeter. He was doing a lot of work on the post. It was getting into a transition game. Whereas with this time, like he was hardly on the perimeter. Like he was spending his time, you know, inside the lane, you know, uh, free throw line, you know, mid- midpoint extended. Like he was doing a ton of work, you know, inside the three point line. And I love the attitude that he brought on the glass. Like he was defensive rebounding, offensive rebounding. He was altering shots. Like he, I was really impressed with him from an effort standpoint, and he definitely looks strong enough. He could be a four slash five for Duke, no problem. Like he's he's a really good athlete. So I will take a breath 
And you ask me any, any other questions you got. Yeah. Well, you mentioned strength and conditioning and just right quick and we'll toss it around. Um, you had a write up on Jared McCain and that's who I wanted to ask you about too. And I think you talked about, you know, yeah. he looked a little bit bigger. To he me. Did. I think at one point he was listed at like 6'2", 175. He looks like he's gotten significantly stronger. And he I was has. wondering for you kind of how that looked on the, on the court. He, ha- and just- he has. And what's interesting, you can see the contrast because he plays – uh, in the backcourt uh, with his team, why not the YBL team alongside Killen Boswell, who he's a, he's another elite guard out of the West Coast. Um, and the two of them together, like when I first, when I saw them standing next to each other, they look like two different kinds of bowling balls. They're short. Well, they're kind of compact, physical, strong guards. And the more I watched them play with each other, they just totally played off. They were interchangeable uh, with each other. Like there were points where uh, Killen was initiating the offense and he was setting, uh, um, he was setting everybody else up. Um, but with Jared, the thing that I, the thing that I really loved about Jared was his shot selection. Like, I don't think I saw him take a bad shot, uh, at all. Like he worked at his pump fake game is really strong. Uh, when he gets out into transition, like he's probing the defense with the drive, he's really good with dribbling with his left hand. They're like, you know, how those shooters, you know, they dribble with, if they're a right hand shooter, they dribble with their left hand and they're kind of probing the defense, figuring out where they need to set up. Like he is so gifted with that. Like he's going to be a knockdown score for Duke. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. I was pretty excited when I saw some of the, like, he just looks like a different player out there. Um, just completely. He's built. just. He's so strong. And like when he drives, you know, it was, it was interesting when I was talking with him leading into his commitment to Duke, um, I was asking him like, are you the type of offensive player? Cause I had seen him at that same camp that I mentioned uh, that I saw Sean Stewart at. And in that camp, uh, Jared was asking for a lot of pick and rolls and he was doing a lot of work off a of screen and roll action. And he was really good, but, it, but in, uh, at EYBL, what was interesting was like he was doing his own penetrating. Like he was getting into the lane, no problem. Like he was breaking the defense down off of his own dribble drive. He's really good when he's playing off the ball with, you know, relocating into space to be open for the for the pitch out pass. Like he's, I think he's going to be a really good offensive player. And I think because of his physicality and his legs and his upper body, he can finish through contact. Like I'm, I'm really excited about like where his game is at. He clearly has improved. And he's a hard worker, guys. I'm just telling you, like, he does yoga. Like, he works out consistently on his game. He's in the weight room. Like, he is a very hard worker, and you could see it on the court. I don't know if anyone else had anything about McCain, or I can keep going. I did want to ask you a little bit, and I don't think this was at EYBL, but I saw you had a write-up with Cooper Flag, I believe. Yeah, he was there. 25 or something like that? It looks like he's already getting recognition. Yeah, he's class of 2025. Uh, he's ranked in the top five already for that class alongside uh, uh, Cameron Boozer, uh, who I also oh, yeah. got to see at uh, EYBL this weekend. Cameron Boozer and his brother Caden, uh, the sons of Chris, uh, they play on the same EYBL team. It's the Knight Riders 15U uh, Elite. And I got to tell you, like, as good as the performances were from the 23 and 24 guys that I saw in, Uh, that are affiliated with Duke. And yes, this includes Nas Cunningham. Like I was thoroughly impressed with both Cooper and the two Boozer brothers. Like those two guys, even as, you know, 15 U players, like, I mean, they play with composure, like they're all athletic. I mean, uh, Cooper flag, his skill level is just off the chart. Like he's, he's going to be real. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's really good. Like I, John probably still has a text for me. Like, I went and watched Cooper on Friday night. 
opening night because he was playing at a gym that was close to the main EYBL gym where a lot of the 17U games were. And when I first got a look at him for the first couple minutes, I texted John. I was like, I thought I was looking at Ricky Rowe. You know, you remember from Blue Chips? <laughs> like he, because he was shooting it from the outside. Like he just had a really controlled dribble, pump fake, getting into his jumper. But then as the game went on, especially in the first half, he then shifted from being like, you know, a score on the wing to being a playmaker for his team. And he was so good in the first half of his Friday night game in Indianapolis that come the second half, the other team saw like he was such a threat that almost every offensive possession in the second half, he was double teamed. Like that's how much respect they have for Cooper because he was initiating offense. He's a great passer. He can, he can score in any way that you want. I mean, his movement around the paint, He's an excellent three-point shooter. Like he's skill-wise, he is off the charts. And then Cameron, Cameron Boozer, uh, he's he's a totally different kind of big. And I'm telling you, like I told I told John and I told some other guys, I was like, if Duke could get Cameron Boozer and Cooper Flag as their as their five guy and their four guy for the 2025 class, like they will be set. Like those two guys are phenomenal. Yeah, I would love to go ahead and just get the legacy recruits in there too, um, just to have them. And I know the other one, one's like really, really good, right? Like top five status. Cameron. And the other one's kind of top 25, top 30. Somewhere. So that's Cameron is the top. He's like top three. Like he's okay. He's yeah. a mobile athletic big. He's super talented. He can shoot it from three. Like he's the prototypical NBA five. I mean, even though he's a super young guy right now, like he's got all the skill set. He's got the size already. Uh, his brother Caden is the guard. And the thing that I loved about Caden, um, he's an absolute bulldog on the court. Like his, the way he guarded, and I watched him uh, in two different games. Uh, he he gets down in a stance consistently. He plays the passing lanes. He is excellent with his on-ball defense. And when they were, I got to watch him because they matched up against each other uh, on Sunday. Uh, it was the last game of the day that I got to watch. So Cooper Flag. And his team matched up against Boozer, the Boozer brothers and their team. And it was over in the first half because Boozer's uh, AAU team, they were so dominant in the passing lanes. Like they get down and guard and Caden is like the lead attack dog. Like if they were doubling a guy on the perimeter, like he's the guy that would either like knock it out and, and leak out to get in a transition, or he would be the guy that would like take the point guard as the point guard was bringing the ball up the court. Like he's a bulldog and I love the way he played. He's really good. Mm. And I'm assuming that would, I'm just I'm guessing, maybe not, but I'm assuming that's kind of like a package deal, right? You, you want one, you take both. They want to play together or is that? Yeah, I'll be both, interested. I'll I was going to say, they're both good enough they're to, both to play. Both. Yeah. Yeah. I, I actually had a chance to talk to their mom after the game uh, just to get a, just to introduce myself and uh, have a few minutes with her. And what was interesting was I actually asked her that question. Like, you know, your boys are obviously of the ability level that they could probably have the option you know, if they keep progressing the way they appear to be progressing to play together in college. And she actually said that they're, they're looking at it as two individual. They're not saying like, it's an automatic that they have to go and play together. Like they're, it's all going to come down to like, what's the best situation for the both of them. So with anything, like I always say, like, you know, with those guys, they got to keep developing, you know, we'll see, we'll see how they are as, you know, as sophomores and juniors, when things start getting really serious uh, with with their recruitment. But I think starting out, like they both are of the skill level and the ability to play high D1, no doubt about it. One thing I'd throw in there, and Steve, Steve mentioned this uh, when we were texting during the event, 
Um, their last name is Boozer. Their yep. dad went to Duke. Yep. Do not assume that they are 100% yes. legacy recruits who are going to go to Duke no matter what. This is yes. not yep. that situation. Yeah. And to, and to back that up, I, I'm glad you made the point, John, because I was going to make it too. To back that up, to give you guys an idea of like, you know, when you're there, you see the college coaches on the sidelines, you're sitting with them and whatnot. So when I went and saw uh, the Boozer brothers uh, in their own game on a Saturday afternoon, I walked in and Juwan Howard from Michigan, the head coach from Michigan was sitting there. Okay. And then when I saw uh, Cooper Flagg and his team go up against the Boozer brothers on Sunday afternoon, I saw the head coaches from uh, Miami. Michigan, uh, Leonard Hamilton was there from Florida State. Gonzaga had multiple uh, of their lead assistants that were there, and there were a ton of other assistant coaches. Like those Boozer brothers are for sure going to have options all around the country. So I totally agree with John's point. Like, do not assume at all like this is a legacy situation. Like, that's just not how they are not going to make a decision to go to Duke based on the fact that their dad went there. They will, if they go to Duke, it'll be because they want to go there for themselves. For sure. Um, well, and let's, we'll talk a little bit more about just the 23 class, I guess, overall. Yeah. Um, so at this point, well, I guess the first part, I know when Proctor committed, we had talked a little bit about it on the pod pre-commitment, seen some stuff still on the boards from y'all standpoint, you feeling pretty good that he's going to enroll at Duke. I know there's still some stuff that like, well, maybe he could go this other route and kind of go to the draft from what y'all are hearing. We should expect him in Durham next year. I talked with all of the commits uh, that were there at EYBL and uh, all of them uh, said that they've been talking with Tyrese for, uh, for quite a while now. And once he committed, like he's saying all the right things to them. Like he clearly is excited about being a part all of them said in their own way, like that he has said to them, you know, as the commit class that he's excited about being a part of it. He's really looking forward to it. And I think from a scouting perspective, since I got to see all these guys and they're fresh, like I'm real, I'm super excited about the fit of Tyrese with Caleb and with Jared on the perimeter because the size of Tyrese and Caleb, like both of those guys are a legit six five. I mean, the size and physicality that those guys bring and they're and they're both able to run point. They're both able to distribute and playoff ball and the, and the playmaking ability uh, and scoring ability that Jared brings. Like those three guys are going to blend extremely well on the uh, on the perimeter. I have no doubt in my mind. Yeah, I think I, I think Proctor will play at Duke. Um, going back to the Keels thing, you know, there's a chance if Keels stayed in the draft that Proctor could, of course, classify up and play this coming year. Um, I, I think it's a remote chance, but I'm not going to say it's impossible. Um, so again, we'll just watch that. Um, you know, I think he's gonna, I think he'll have the ball in his hands early, but I mean, then the question becomes, what does Jeremy Roach do his senior year? Because I mean, that's, I mean, if they got Roach back, I mean, you've got what, four Ooh. or five guards. Six. Like, I mean, really like yeah. if, 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 oh, Jayden, was, was, was yeah. shut, if he sticks around too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at that, oh, I at think that he point, will. you have to play small, right? You have to uh, put Stewart the five, McKenzie at the four, and just have three guards three out there. Three of the four or yeah. five guards out there, yeah. You probably have Mark Mitchell, too. Yeah. Um, yeah hopefully. True. Yeah. I mean, Philipowski, yeah. they will be they will be so interchangeable, guys, with with all that stuff. I'm, I'm telling you, like, especially with shooting. Fly. Oh, oh, my goodness. Yes. Yes, absolutely. And we don't know how deep Sean or Shire's going to go, right? We don't know if he's going to do the seven-man deal, the six-and-a-half-man deal, or if he wants to play eight or nine guys. I think he'll go deeper than Krzyzewski did. 
Yeah. Um, you know, it's it, it's been interesting. Um, on our next podcast, we can actually, if you want to, we can go through the most uh, insane rumors that have been going around about Shashevsky uh, in the last <laughs> couple of weeks. My favorite one is fun. that. Uh, my favorite one was that he uh, he f- had a phone call with LeBron um, about scratching the itch of coaching for the Lakers. Um, that that's been my favorite one so far. Yeah. Or the um, one where he landed in like uh, Charlotte, Charlotte, yeah. <laughs> or Greensboro, or somewhere else, and got like yeah. privately shuttled over to the Hornets. Uh, all that. Yeah. yeah. My 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 thing is the guy hasn't been able to coach thirty five college games, twenty college games in a row for what four or five years. Yeah. First it was Capel stepping in, then it was Shire stepping in. People think he's going to coach a hundred games in the NBA and travel. I mean, come on. Yeah. But. Um, <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, I think it's. I think John will go deeper. I, I think he will. I think he'll put more of an emphasis on, you know, rotations and team building and everything else. And you know, and in, yeah. in, in defense, the rosters he's had. I mean, you had these elite one and done guys. Then you had the Grand Canyon. Then you had the, you know, the bot- bottom of the roster guys. Um, these last couple teams. Now we can make arguments about you know Marquise Bolden. Um, yeah, best I ever saw him play was the game Capel took over yep. against Miami. And I mean, Bolden looked like a savant garden pick and roll and all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, this it's, it's interesting, but that's, that's another pod where we can talk about the things John's going to do that are different and how he's going to bring a different approach. But yeah, right now, the way it's setting up next year, not this coming year, but the next year, uh, they're going to be deep, versatile, full of shooters. Yeah, um, which is not a bad deal. One thing we can touch on for 2023, really quick, they are going to most likely offer uh, the Xavier Booker kid. Yep, he's a he's a four star center right now, ranked inside the top 100. I would expect him to end up much much higher than that. Yeah, um, it's not going to be a quick recruitment, but I know for a fact that they impressed him. Um, he impressed them. Uh, there's a lot of mutual interest on both sides. Um, Carowell has talked to him a couple times. Um, I get the feeling they're trying to get a, a call with him, Shire and Carowell, so that the offer can be extended. But I mean, yeah, this is a kid Michigan State's been on for two years. But I'm telling you, yeah, they very much like him, and he very much is reciprocating uh, to this point. So he'd be, they, he'd be, if, oh yeah, he'd be good for them. He's a mobile, athletic, big guy. So he can rebound. He's he's a good player. Yep. And I, I can tell you uh, from the horse's mouth, they definitely want one more player in 2023 and they want a big guy. Oh, wow. That was so. the question I was going to. Do you think that is more kind of based on the last six months or so of what we're seeing out of Filipowski of like, yeah, he said he's this three or four year guy, but we probably should kind of prepare for him not to be. Or is this even well, if even he sticks if he around, can. they still want this guy. Yeah, yeah even, if he, even if Filipowski comes back. I mean, what's your post rotation next year? You got Filipowski and then Christian Reeves. Who, well, yeah. yeah, but Christian Reeves is a project guy. I mean, we're, I think Christian Reeves would be more like a, a Zubek, where, mm-hmm. you know, two, three years down the road, he's ready to really, really contribute, hopefully. Yeah. But, you know, next year you would have Filipowski and maybe Mark Mitchell. Yep. Mark Mitchell's not a five. Um, you would need a five who could come in and play. And, yep. I mean, I, I think. Getting a kid like Booker, though, would then preclude going into the portal for anything serious for a backup post. Um, because you would essentially start Filipowski at the five. Booker would come off the bench at the five. You'd have Mitchell at the four. Uh, McKenzie would be a- another four if you want to play in the big lineup. 
Um, Sean Stewart would be there. Um, that's 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 what you need, and that yep. would get you completely out of the portal game for next off season. Yeah. yeah. Any any compliments? Like when you look at the guys that they're already showing interest in in twenty twenty four, it's a lot of mobile athletic wings, you know, and uh, and different guards. Like you look at Nas Cunningham. Like Nas Cunningham is not a four at Duke. Like he he tries to play like Kevin Durant. Like he's he's a scoring wing. You know, he's not a he's not a traditional four or five guy. Like he just doesn't have the size for that. So a guy like Booker, you know, if you can get him to stick around, like he could be a perfect complement to how they appear to be recruiting for especially 2023, 2024. Yeah. Yeah. And on the 24 and beyond, I one thing I noticed with this class, I think if they can land the guards they're talking about and keep them, I think you'll start seeing going forward, maybe every year they bring in a guard. And then every other year they bring in like an elite one and done caliber guard. Um, so you get that way you've got continuity going forward. Cause I mean, Proctor's probably one and done. Um, I don't think Foster is. I don't think his game lends itself to that. He's a big guard, he's cerebral, but he's not a takeover guy. Um, in my opinion. I mean, Steve can correct me if I'm wrong. McCain is a very good college guard. He could be, you know, he could end up like a Damian Lillard or a or uh, you know, McCollum or whatever, but he's going to need a couple years. Um, you know, Jaden is going to be a good guard. He's a big guard. Um, will he be Luke Kennard? I don't think so. Um, maybe a better version of Marty Potius. Um, maybe. Um, maybe a Daniel Ewing, um, even though I don't think he's nearly the current we all, What we thought we were getting out of AOC, maybe they kind of got some of similar frames going on there. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, I mean, that, I mean, yeah, should, they, should's more of a score. Yeah, he's a, I think a poor man's Luke Kennard is not a bad. I mean, what do you think, Steve? Um, yeah, I mean, I think O'Connell I mean, poor man's it. might be a little horrible. Tower Hero, man. maybe, is another kind of just the standard white guy comps. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I was trying to come through. I mean, trying he, to avoid the Daniel Ewing. Yeah, I saw, yeah. Well, no, yeah. I mean, he's six five. He's six five and can shoot. Um, yeah, and he's definitely a shooting guard. I'm just trying to think of guys that do. And, been, I mean, Trajan Langdon, maybe. In mm-hmm. some in some ways, I know this sounds crazy, but shut tries to play like how Grayson played in the first couple of years. He's yeah, not as he's not as physically athletic in the upper body, like in terms of uh, size, like what Grayson was like. Grayson was really, you know, just really strong. Right. And he was an above average athlete. Shut is a really good athlete. He's smaller, but he's faster. So, but he tries to play like he, I mean, he will take it down the court and hammer on some guys and he's got Dexter a really good one. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't know. I'm more point guard. Yeah, I'm terrible at comparisons. I'm, I'm same here, to, John. <laughs> I'm trying to think of guys who you know Duke who have been in the six four, six five range, who yeah. are elite shooters. And I mean, Langdon was six four, but he's yeah. more athletic than Langdon. Um, yeah, hopefully he won't be carrying up the ball on the last play of a national title game when you have Will Avery and Elton Brand. But you know that's <laughs> yeah. you know. And we had Dawkins, but Andre was like only a shooter, right? Like he did not want to put the ball. Yeah, in the Dawkins ball used much. to be able to. He used to be able to get up. Yeah, I remember um, that dunk on Georgia Tech in this freshman yeah. year, and we just never really saw it again. But I, yep. I love Dawkins I just because every time I saw him shoot, I thought it was going in. Yeah, I mean, his yeah. form was just it was. Uh. Yeah, but anyway, um, I had a question about uh, Cunningham. So I saw recently that yeah. he signed with Overtime Elite. Yep. Is he expected to still play in college? Because I know he forego he forewent. Is that the past tense? I don't know. Uh, a salary, uh, so he still yep. has the option to play in college. He but does. I didn't know if, what the thinking was on that. I talked with him and his dad uh, this weekend, and 
every and obviously that was pre the announcement coming out but everything that they were saying like they are definitely looking at him playing in college uh i'll be interested to see what the message is i'm hoping hopefully next month um i'll be in louisville to cover the next eybl and if he's there that's definitely going to be something i'm going to want to talk to him about uh some more because they were definitely keeping it quiet that he was going to announce for uh, for overtime elite, but yeah, everything from a step perspective with him, not signing with an agent, like obviously that preserves the opportunity for him. Now the question becomes, you know, does he, does he see the value in, uh, in going to college and playing on that platform? Because overtime elite, you have to give them credit. They have really invested in their facilities. You know, they get the NBA guys, you know, from scouts, GMs and all that they get, they make their guys visible, uh, to those guys. So it's going to come down to does Nas want to play, you know, at the, at the college level, does his family want him to play at the college level? Cause he's definitely good enough to do it and, and be an impact player. But, you know, we're a couple of years away, you know, from him having to make that decision, you know? Well, he probably doesn't want him to be the next Imani Bates. Yeah. Um, who's yeah. always the great, he's the greatest thing since LeBron. Yep. Until he's not. Yep. And yep. so, you know, he's, and again, that goes back to the the pitch, which is you know what does the kid want and what's he willing to risk. Yep. I mean, you put him in, you put a kid like that in in the you know for the the G League or the the Ignite program, whatever it is, that the high schoolers go to where they play you know they play professionally for that year. I mean, there's some risk there. Whereas sure. if you put them against other college kids and they go in and dominate like a Paolo did, like a Zion did. Um, or even, you know, Marvin Bagley or even a Wendell Carter, you know, just you go in there and do that. I would say you make more money than being and you have a better chance to go somewhere uh, as far as brand wise goes. Yeah. Because um, who's, you know, who's the, who was so good in the uh, in the G League this year from the Kaminga Kaminga. He's playing. Yeah, with he the was good. Yeah. He's playing with the Warriors. No, but I'm talking about this year. I mean, I, I, I was looking oh. at mock drafts and it's oh, like, yeah. I see a couple names and I'm like, yeah, I remember that kid as a high school, and I know the yep. GMs know him. Yep. But does the casual fan know him? And you know, no. what's his marketability because of that? Exactly. Just a thought. Yeah, it's it's interesting. It's gonna get uh, you know, I don't know. I guess for for Duke, I'm really excited for the Shire era to see um see what's gonna happen and see how he's gonna kind of tweak things and everything else. But um, well, we've run a little long, so we'll go ahead and get out of here. But want to thank John and Steve again for coming on. Um. Check us out on the boards, thedevilsden.com. Summertime, it's a lot of stuff going on for prospects. It's really kind of overwhelming right now with the portal. Usually, <laughs> we're just talking recruiting. Now, I'm trying to figure out what other kid we're talking about who's transferring in or out or just acquired. Um, but a lot of stuff over there. If this is your forte, if you like the kind of inner workings of all that good stuff. Um, in the meantime, you know, rate, review, subscribe. Email us at thedevilsdenpod um, at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, keep the... Keep the verb high in the face of strong. Go do.